Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. are listening to Countdown to Kickoff. I am your host, Anthony Denmark, Denmark Life the Country, a.k.a. Copenhagen, a.k.a. Demi. And this episode is brought to you by EatDrinkSleepSports.com. And since sports never stop, since sports never sleep, that means we always have something to talk about. And since Mason's back, heck, I'm back, you're back, let's go ahead and discuss the latest happenings in the world of college sports. Let's get it. And welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome back to Countdown to Kickoff. I'm your host, the one and only, Anthony Denmark. Denmark like the country. So, a Super Bowl was played 72 hours ago. And now there's no more football. But, you know, one of the things that's always interesting about football, specifically college football in particular, we know that there's always elements of it in everything. And I consider my duty, my calling, to let you guys know what's happening, what's up in college football. So, of course, when everybody watches the Super Bowl, they watch it for different reasons. I know my mom, she watches the Super Bowl for the commercials. I know that my sister watches the game for the guys. But, you know, I guess me as a guy who loves college football so much, I find myself watching the game for looking at the players who are playing and contributing in the game and wondering where they came from. When I saw Julian Edelman catch that amazing catch, I said, wow, that was a three-star dual-threat quarterback from Kent State. When I saw Chris Hogan catch that pass during the drive in the fourth quarter, I thought to myself, wow, that was a guy that played lacrosse at Penn State and then played only one year of football at Monmouth. When I saw Vic Beasley, the sack leader in the NFL, miss an opportunity at an interception, I saw a guy who was ranked number 497 in this class and the 38th-ranked tight end in the country. Also, it made me think maybe that's the reason why he switched over the defensive end. So, of course, in the Super Bowl, there's recruits. And each recruit has a story. And, of course, we do know the week before there was National Signing Day. So, of course, everybody's talking about the four and the five stars. But, of course, as we saw in the Super Bowl, the four and the five stars may get the press conferences but we do know that at the end of the day, it's sometimes the three stars, the walk-ons, the lacrosse players, who ultimately end up making a difference. 
So what's on tap for today's show? Well, we do know that, of course, we're going to talk about recruiting. And, of course, we do know that, yes, right now we are only weeks away from March Madness. But, of course, we do know also for college football fans, although you have college basketball, it's just not the same. So on today's show, we're going to talk a little football. We're going to talk about who are some of the diamonds in the rough in a lot of these top recruiting classes and uh, who are the stars who are going to be expected to make differences next season. We are 207 days, 1,832 hours until kickoff of the college football season. And until that time, we're going to talk football, college football. So we're going to talk about Washington Huskies, who right now, of course, are having a basketball season. I forget they're currently 2-9 and nine in their own conference play in the Pac-12, in spite of having the number one pick in the presumed draft. We're going to talk about Clemson, who right now are 13-9 and nine in basketball. And let's be honest, man, they're not going dancing either. So I'm more than sure that those fan bases are already thinking about college football. Clemson is already thinking about that matchup against Kent State. Washington is already thinking about redeeming itself after coming up short, small, thin, and inexperienced in their playoff appearance. So we're going to talk. Clemson, of course, welcomed its smallest class. They welcomed in 15 recruits plus a preferred walk-on. You may know him. You may know his last name. Sweeney, of course, is who I'm referring to. Um, Washington, of course, also welcomed in 22 recruits. And the reason I decided to focus on these two schools particularly is because, man, these two schools, when we say mass exodus, that is an understatement. Clemson, of course, says bye-bye to Artavis Scott, bye-bye to Wayne Gallman, bye-bye to Chris Wilkins, bye-bye to Tankersley, bye-bye, of course, to Deshaun Watson. Washington, of course, says bye-bye to everybody in the secondary, bye Buddha by Jones, by King. And, of course, we do know that these teams, now their fans are expecting them to return back to those promised lands. They've been able to taste success and elite status feels like, and they want to taste it again. But, of course, that is not done without being able to replenish the cupboard, without being able to fill in the gaps of these mass exodus of players. Because life after Deshaun Watson and life after John Watson, we do know, cannot be the end for these particular programs, especially at the salary that both of these coaches are being, are, are being paid. So we're going to talk about those two particular programs. And, of course, we're also going to talk about moving day. Last week was signing day, and today is moving day. We're going to talk about that. But – Without further ado, let's go ahead and start out west. Purple rain, purple rain, purple rain. Let's start with Jack Foltman. He covers the Washington Huskies. Said bye-bye to John Ross, bye-bye to the whole secondary. Does that mean bye-bye to another Pac-12 championship? To discuss that in the recruiting class and more, let's go ahead and get him on the line. Hey, hey, thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Now, of course, we do know that we have – 207 days until kickoff. Until then, of course, I'm sure later in the summer we'll do our preview of the Huskies. But, of course, right now we've got to talk signing day. 
and there was a mass exodus. I, I think about it almost like Moses parting the Red Sea, let my people go. The amount of talent that Washington lost to the draft and to graduation is massive, especially in the secondary and especially at wideout. However, just like taxes, you always got recruits coming in. So uh, what are some of your thoughts on the recruiting class uh, currently right now ranked number 22 in the country? Yeah, Washington signed a great class. It's uh, probably in the, the Internet era since the, the, the recruiting services of Scout and Rivals have been around. I would put it up there as high as any class they've ever signed. It's, uh, it might not have been as quite as big as some people thought it could have been uh, with us making a playoff run. And after they had a lot of the commits, they had signed on really early and they, had, they were in a good spot with some big – some uh, big prospects, but it's a really good class. It's really deep, and it's uh, really quality across the board. Absolutely. Now, of course, we do know that when you do go to the playoffs, the expectation is just going to pay immediate dividends in regards to recruits. Now, of course, we do know that they definitely did bring in an impressive class, but unfortunately, I think down in Palo Alto, you know, definitely uh, stole two guys away and, Sarrell, the, the offensive tackle, and also in Weddington, who at one point was actually committed to Washington. Nevertheless, we do know with Chris Peterson, he could care less about stars. He makes pros out of magic. Walk-ons, it doesn't matter. So this bevy of talent that he has at his disposal. Now, specifically, we're going to focus on the secondary. Now, they did bring in some impressive talent, but I mean, is there another Sidney Lowe? Sidney Jones, is there another uh, Buddha, Buddha Baker in this recruiting class? I think there might be down the road. I think they're going to have to, with the players they have now, I don't think there's any way you can replace those guys, you know, uh, in one year. But in this class coming in, they have some really nice secondary prospects. There's uh, Elijah Molden, whose dad was Alex Molden, who was actually a star at Oregon. Uh, who played in the NFL for a long time. He's a, he's a big-time recruit, kind of in the mold of Buda Baker as a 5'10", 1-5 guy who might play who might play safety but has the speed and athleticism of a cornerback. Uh, then there's also another really good safety product uh, prospect in Brandon McKinney, who's out of Orange County uh, down, in Al- and down in California. He's a, a 6'1", 200-ish, kind of just a, a, a polished uh, uh safety with a lot really good instincts he's a little bit like taylor rapp who uh, came in a little unheralded last year for the huskies and started as a true freshman and i think was the pac-12 freshman defensive player of the year so they have some really good prospects coming in at defensive back it might take a while before they can you know fill the the huge shoes of guys like Sidney jones and buddha baker and kevin king but they're ready to be the kind of next group of you know star husky defensive backs Absolutely. Again, I'm on the line with Jack Foleman. He covers the Washington Huskies. Now, one of the things that I noticed when I looked at the recruiting class, I did notice that they definitely recruited length, almost kind of like that pro team called the Seahawks. All the defensive backs are like six foot or higher, which is something that is very impressive, something that's definitely needed down in the Pac-12 where they throw the ball. Now, of course, we do know that probably the first player in Washington is going to be drafted it's probably going to be John Ross. We talked about him before in the summertime. You warned me and told me that this guy was going to be a blazer, and you ended up being true. However, of course, he was so good, now he's about to get paid to play. But there is a three-headed monster uh, group of wide receivers 
who seem to have it all. They have size, they have speed, and they have a nice little combination of both. Who do you see out of those three uh, possibly uh, being able to fill the role of John Ross next season? Yeah, um, unfortunately none of them have that kind of, uh, you know, world-class athleticism and speed that John Ross does. But then again, no one really does. The guy I think people are most excited about is Ty Jones. He's out of Provo, Utah. He's a 6'4", 200-pound player with really good speed, uh, size and speed. And if uh, you watch the Huskies last couple games, the Pac-12 championship, but then the Peach Bowl, the problem at receiver they had was they, they weren't big and they weren't physical the way Mike Williams from Clemson was who really gave Alabama trouble. They didn't have that big guy who could, you know, come up and make the tough catch when people weren't open or force himself off of press coverage. Uh, Ty Jones looks like he could be that guy from day one. And at the Army All-American Bowl where, you know, all the best prospects were in the country, he, he came in kind of as an unknown. But by the end of the practices and in the game, just about everyone in the country knew who he was. And he got an offer – from Ohio State, uh, UCLA came after him really hard, and that's just had to really fight to hang on to him because he became such a such a coveted prospect after people got to see him uh, up close. And I think from day one, he might be the guy who uh, turns into their big their big receiver. Absolutely, I know when I saw him, I was like the first thing I thought I was like, "Up, oh, jump man, jump man." Now, of course, we do know that in recruiting. There's always a story, and of course we heard about the story. We saw the story about Buffalo Meat. He even came on on uh, Jimmy Kimmel to talk about his name. Now, one of the stories that uh, ended up making the news in regards to one of the Washington recruits, a guy that I call the diamond in the rough. His name is Jordan Lolo Maya. Uh, guy, of course, uh, he lost his mother, uh, who recently passed away, but he also ended up recruiting to. Uh, ultimately up signing to Washington. Can you tell my listeners about what they should expect from this guy? Because it seems as if a lot of people are talking about this guy uh, being another special player that Coach K may find himself turning into another promising NFL player. Yeah, Jordan Lolohea was kind of a, a late surprise for them. I think the Huskies got in on him uh, a little bit later, and uh, they were able to get, pull him out of Utah when I think everyone thought he was signed and sealed to Utah or BYU was going to stay. Uh, in the state with the family uh, tragedy he had. And he's a guy who his measurables aren't super crazy. I think he's listed at like 6'2", 240, and he's, uh, I don't know what his 40 time is, but it's how he jumps off the page. But if you watch his tape, he's a really impressive guy. He just comes off hard, off the edge hard, hits hard, physical, and kind of has that motor you, you want to see from a Chris Peterson player. Uh, he's actually a mission player. He's uh, uh, LDS. So he's also interesting. He won't actually – up for the Huskies for three more years, so uh, they're going to have to wait, unfortunately, to see what he, he's going to be able to do, but I think when he shows up, he'll be three years stronger and older, and uh, he, kind of a unique aspect of that as well. Absolutely. So all my listeners out there, if you see a big guy on a bike, do not run. Now, of course, we do know that this past class uh, that is one of the most talented Washington uh, group of players are now about to get paid to play or about to graduate. Most of these guys were recruited by this guy by the name of Steve Sarkeesian, who after, you know, one, one game as an offensive coordinator uh, was promoted uh, to offensive coordinator in the NFL. Pose it to you on Twitter, and I want to give you the floor. Uh, should the Falcons trust him? Boy, uh, yeah, they're putting a lot of trust in a guy who, honestly, I don't know 
how much he's done on paper. And, uh, yeah, I mean, if you look through Steve Sarkeesian's resume, his, uh, his, his best years were as a, as a quarterback coach and offensive coordinator at USC about 10 years ago, where, I mean, I think you could have thrown in a lot of different coaches with the talent they had and the, the streak they had there with Pete Carroll, and they would have been doing just fine. You know, he, he did good things at Washington. He turned them from – you know, zero win program to a program that won nine games by the time he was gone. And other than that, though, I mean, alongside of his personal issues, I just I don't know what jumps off the page about Steve Sarkeesian. What I do know is that he's very good in the room. He's uh, in all his recruit years of recruiting and kind of you know uh, finessing the boosters and the media. He was always a great guy in the room. So I'm assuming he was able to talk Atlanta into thinking that he could do that job. And I thought it was pretty funny because. You know, arguably the Falcons lost the Super Bowl because uh, they ran the ball or they passed the ball when people wanted them to run. And Steve Sarkeesian kind of uh, that was one of the number one complaints about his his offensive play calling when he was at Washington and uh, I think at, at USC as well. And then uh, I, I noticed sometimes the Peach Bowl or the the playoffs this year there were sometimes where it really didn't make a whole lot of sense that Alabama was throwing the ball when they could have ran the ball. So yeah. It, be super and should quite know what the Falcons are saying. Absolutely. We'll definitely want to find out what's happening. We're definitely going to find out what's up. Thank you so much for coming on to the show, and I definitely look forward to talking to you throughout the year, throughout the summer, because we do know that with the Huskies at 2-9 and nine in basketball, football season cannot get here soon enough. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you, Thanks for having me on. Now, of course, you know, when it comes to my man Steve, you have to ask this question. If he couldn't handle the social scene in Seattle, if he couldn't handle the social scene in Los Angeles, I don't know, man. The nightlife in Atlanta, it ain't Tuscaloosa. We never wish ill will on anybody, of course. I do wish him nothing but the best. And for the sake of the Falcon fans, <laughs> Good luck. Nevertheless, as we continue our talk, since we're talking about the state of Georgia, where Atlanta plays, it would almost be almost perfect transitioning to talking about life after Deshaun Watson. Because life after Deshaun Watson cannot be the end of the Clemson Tigers football dominance. Davo Sweeney has recruited extremely well, although this class that he has is somewhat small and 14 players coming in and a preferred walk-on with the same last name. But nevertheless, what is life going to be like after Deshaun Watson? To get these questions and more, let's go ahead and get Brian Greeson on the line. He covers the Clemson Tigers to find out what's happening, what's up with Deshaun Watson. Welcome to the show. Hey, Anthony. Thanks for having me on, man. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, of course, uh, like I told uh, my previous guest, you know, basketball season for Clemson right now, they're sitting at 13-9. and nine. Of course, you know, the mm-hmm. ACC is deep, so there is possibly still hope. But for most Clemson fans, I'm sure 207 days away from another beatdown of Kent State, Nick Saban's alma mater cannot come soon enough. Especially after the, uh, you know, the three-pointer with no time left, uh, the walk-off three that Syracuse hit tonight to uh, 
to give Clemson another loss in, in Little John. That was uh, that was a tough pill to swallow. But that uh, you know, Clemson fans are still looking in that trophy case at that natty sitting there, and uh, you know it, it makes the pains of basketball season not quite as sore. But uh, you know, life after Deshaun, who knows? And uh, there's a <laughs> talented group of quarterbacks chomping at the bit to get on the field this year. Um, Kelly Bryant was, uh, I guess, tentatively penciled in as your starter going into uh, spring. And uh, Kelly Bryant is a uh, is a great running quarterback. Um, he actually uh, is from my hometown, so I got to watch him play some uh, some high school football before he uh, before he transferred up to uh, to Wren High School. But Kelly Bryant's a heck of an athlete, and uh, can he hold on to that? I, I don't know. Uh, the water cooler talk right now is that Zarek Cooper may be the uh, the guy to beat by the time that. Uh, Summer practice is over. Zarek Cooper's redshirt freshman, and if you uh, to close your eyes and squint, he looks a lot like Deshaun Watson. He's got his same game, same body build, kind of. Uh, and then you got the number one quarterback in the country, the pocket passer, uh, number one uh, pocket pass quarterback in the country coming in, and in, in Hunter Johnson, who has all the tools, um, you know, that you would need to to win on the field. Already committed for 2018 as a uh, the number one quarterback you know in the country, maybe the number one overall recruit in the country, in uh, in Trevor Lawrence. Uh, it's, times are good right now in Tiger Town. You know, quarterback controversy when there's a ton of talent on the field is uh, is a good problem to have. And I didn't even mention Tucker Israel, who broke all of Tim Tebow's high school records two years ago down in Florida. So uh, uh, Coach Swing and uh, Coach Elliott and Coach Scott are going to have a uh, going to have a quarterback battle on their hands, but you know competition breeds success usually. And looking forward to it. It's going to be a uh, going to be fun covering that this summer. Absolutely. Here I'm on the line with Ben Greeson. He covers the Clemson Tigers. Now, of course, you know one of the things that's awesome when you find yourself now being mentioned as an elite program, you don't really recruit you kind of select who you want and who you don't want. And when you look at the breakdown of regards to where they got players from, it's amazing. They got their first player from Ohio. They got a player from Louisiana. They got a player from Indiana, even a player from Utah and New Jersey. So, I mean, you look at what's happening with this recruiting class, and you say that, man, things could look mighty great, and it seems as if there's going to be very little drop-off. But before we dive further into recruiting, i got to ask about this monster. We talked about him over the summer. We talked about him throughout the year. Dexter Lawrence, the guy, of course, played beyond his years as a freshman, looks more like a pro now. He had a back injury, and he had back surgery, his second back surgery. What's the latest with this? From what I'm, from what I'm hearing, it's, <clears throat> it's going to be very uh... – I mean, there's never a routine back surgery, but I don't think it's uh, it's career threatening at all. Um, you know, they're keeping close evaluations on him, and, and Dexter Lawrence is a was a huge key to the national championship run this year. And really, when you look at the, uh, I guess the recipe for having a successful elite program, of course, you want to look at Alabama and what they've done, and they've won by having dominating defensive linemen. And Clemson has uh, has copied that and has been able to recruit, as you were saying, select uh, 
um, uh, top talent, and not only at quarterback and at the skill positions, but across the defensive line as well. And Dexter Lawrence is, is one of those key guys. You look at Christian Wilkins, he's from Connecticut. Dexter Lawrence is from Wake Forest, North Carolina. Um, you know, you got guys from Florida scattered throughout that uh, defense. We've got a guy from Honolulu, Hawaii, that's going to start next year on the defensive line, and Scott Pagano. So, uh, you know, it, hopefully Dexter will be just fine. He's a uh, he's a freak athlete at 6'6", 340, and uh, he, he runs as well as anybody on that defense, and that's uh, what makes him stand out. Also got the number uh, three, I think, defensive tackle in the country, uh, from last year's recruiting class, who actually redshirted this year in Niles Pinckney. And they're saying that he is, uh, you know, a, a wrecking ball and, and just waiting for his time. So uh, Clemson lost, a, you know, maybe the best player in the country in Deshaun Watson, uh, but they are returning a ton of talent uh, defensively in the front seven. you got two five-star linebackers that will be playing next year that didn't really even play this year, and Trey Lamar and Shaq Smith. And uh, so, I mean, I just don't think there's going to be a ton of drop-off defensively for Clemson next year. Absolutely. Now, of course, you know, like you said before, I mean, the the embarrassment of riches that the uh, Clemson Tigers have is absolutely absurd, and, of course, absurd in a good way. Now, of course, one program often finds itself being defined by one particular position. And I guess we could say over the past five years, Clemson has kind of been known for its wide receivers. Of course, you got Hopkins. Of course, you got my man uh, Watkins, hoping he gets his foot and ankle healed. Amen. And of course, you know they continue to pull out, roll out one uh, number one draft pick wide receiver after the other. And of course, we do know that Mike Williams will likely be selected as the top wide out in the country. No disrespect, John Ross. No disrespect, Corey Davis. But there is this guy. And, of course, I, I say this proudly because he's from my state of Tennessee. Tell my listeners about this guy by the name of Higgins, who after stiff-harming the SEC and the Vols, looks like, already looks the part of the next great Clemson wide receiver. Clemson literally, well, let me back up. Dabo Sweeney literally walked into Knoxville, Tennessee, and took the number one wide receiver in the entire country out of Neyland Stadium. I mean, it, it was – T. Martin is his dad, okay? T. Martin was a national championship winning quarterback at Tennessee. And T. Higgins, his son, is uh, is coming to Clemson. And uh, when, you, when you look at Mike Williams and you see his physical attributes and then you look at T. Higgins, he's a little bit taller. He's a little bit faster. Uh, he's longer. He, he's going to put on another, you know, probably 15 or 20 pounds, and he'll be as physically imposing, <clears throat> you know, from a size-wise, but taller than Mike Williams was. Uh, you can't forget Amari Rogers either, also from the state of Tennessee. Uh, when you mention Higgins, uh, Clemson literally brought into this class two wide receivers that are leaving out this year in T. Higgins and Amari Rogers. It is Mike Williams, Artavis Scott 2.0, and uh, of course you know Artavis Scott's leaving Clemson as the uh, uh, you know uh, career receptions leader. So uh, they did very well. You, you mentioned that the recruiting class was small numbers wise. Well, that's they had 14 um, signees uh, with an average of 3.9 stars. 
there are only two players in the entire um, Clemson's recruiting class this season that wasn't a four or five star player. Uh, they're they sign the talent that they need, and, and it, it is it's an embarrassment of riches right now. It's it's I've been covering Clemson a long time, and this this is the uh, people always pointing to the end of the Danny Ford era as the glory days, but we're we're in the glory days right now. It's uh, it's amazing what what Coach Sweeney has been able to do. And uh, another thing that uh, Clemson fans are pretty proud of, and Coach Swinney makes it a point to tell the players that, you know, you you can go sign 22, 25, 26 players a year. That would be easy to do. But you're over-signing, and you're going to end up cutting people. And Coach Swinney doesn't believe in that. He doesn't cut players. He signed, He had 14 scholarships. He signed 14 players. Now, whether attrition happens, injuries yeah, people. Somebody doesn't fit. Uh, somebody wants to leave the program. That happens. But there is no oversigning at Clemson. If he has 14 scholars, how many people he's going to sign? And with T. Higgins and Amari Rogers, the uh, the skill position, the wideout position at Clemson is in uh, is in good hands for years to come. Absolutely. Again, I'm on the line with Ben Grease, and he covers the Clemson Tigers. Now, I would be remiss, like I said, with the last caller. Um, each recruiting class, of course, always has a story that goes with it. And, of course, we do know the story in regards to uh, um, Dabo Sweeney's son signing on as a preferred walk-on, which is awesome. And also, for me, the biggest story that I read about was the story in regards to how they got this talented running back from Louisiana at the end. Only met him 10 days ago, and he went ahead and signed with Clemson. Amazing. Tell me a little bit about that story because it's just, you don't hear about a coach just meeting a guy 10 days ago, wowing the parents in 10 days, and then him go ahead and sign of the dotted line. Well, Anthony, the same thing that happened with T. Higgins plucking him out of Knoxville. Um, Etienne was picked right out of Baton Rouge. I mean, it was it was a foregone conclusion. Uh, Clemson was really high on um, Cordarian Richardson, <clears throat> who was a running back out of uh, Tennessee as well. There was kind of a, a three-headed monster that we thought we were getting out of Tennessee this year. And, and the coaches backed off of Richardson, who was a highly rated running back. And uh, other two schools, I think, started backing off of him for whatever reason. I'm not sure. But he ended up in uh, Central Florida um, after committing to Maryland. I'm not real sure how that worked out anyway. So they needed a running back and, uh, they liked, uh, they liked, um, Etienne down in, in Louisiana. Uh, the brand, honestly, when I say the brand, the, the Tiger Paul, the, the, you know, the Clemson brand right now is so strong that, um, <clears throat> kids are, kids are excited. And if they ever get somebody on campus, and they get to tour this $55 million football operation center, also known as Davo World. It is beyond state-of-the-art. It is the, it's the most impressive thing I've ever seen. Um, there was no expense um, spared, no rock left unturned uh, as far as what a college kid would want in a place that he would be hanging out for the next four years. Uh, and it's, it's beyond impressive. And uh, Etienne, he he thought he would fit right in, and literally in ten days he went from not even having an offer to signing the dotted line. It's uh, and he's a talent. It's going to be fun watching him grow and progress into the system. Absolutely, of course, we do know that 
college football is literally, it seems a long time away, but it's around the corner. And, of course, we do know that this season will start with Clemson being the reigning national champion. Sounds great. Sounds nice. We look forward to having you on throughout the season, and thank you so much uh, for calling into the show. Hey, absolutely, Anthony. Anytime, man. Absolutely. Now, of course, you know, I like to make my transitions. Again, I want to thank Jack Foldman, and I also want to thank Ben Greeson for coming on to the show, sharing their insights, passion, and expertise about the latest batch of recruits who signed on the dotted line. Now, like I said in the opening of the show, National Signing Day was signing day, and a week later is what I call moving day. And transitioning, continuing what we were talking about in regards to the talented running back of the state of Louisiana, let's just stay there for a minute. As currently, according to reports, high school coaches in New Orleans, where I also used to live, are banding together to possibly blackball Ed Orgeron. You may say, why, Denmark, what's going on? LSU's class finished number 11 in the country or in the top 10 based off whatever recruiting service you look at. Well, the reason why is because these high school coaches felt. Oh, I see it. I see it again. You've been had. You've been took. You've been hoodwinked. Bamboozled. Let us play. Run on up. This is what he does. Why, you may ask? Well, the day after some of their players signed on the dotted line, Ed Orgeron dismissed or reassigned his running back coach, Dakar, who was also a former high school coach at Edna Carr in Louisiana. And they also, of course, later relieved, and you may say, of course, you know, in the world of college sports, in the world of college football particularly, we do know that coaches oftentimes, of course, they rent because they don't own because we do know that eventually they're going to leave. But the day after signing day, the day after these players entrusted or were led to believe that their particular coach who recruited them was going to be there, only to find out less than 24 hours after the ink not even being dry on that letter of intent, those same coaches who recruited them, the same coaches who went into those rooms and told their mamas and papas and daddies and grandmamas that they were going to look after their son, they're nowhere to be found. They're gone. Of course, the coaches are pissed because they put their reputation, they put their name on the line in allowing these coaches from Louisiana, Dakar and Greg, to come into these their players' homes under false pretenses. Now, we don't know if Craig and Dakar knew that they were going to be leaving after National Signing Day, but you would think to believe that that would be some type of information that should be communicated to the parents or at least communicated to uh, the coaches, because we do know that it is an absolute lie that players commit to schools. Players commit to coaches, to the same coaches to whom 
They've been recruiting them since they were in eighth grade. They developed trust and a camaraderie with a particular coach who they believe is looking out for their own best interests. Well, you've been had. You've been took. You've been bamboozled. But you know what, though? You are not alone, coaches, high school coaches in Louisiana. The number six-ranked recruiter in the country, Tommy Robinson, after doing a wonderful job at USC, he's already gone. So the players that he recruited, Lewis and others, you've been had. You've been took. You've been led astray. But you're not alone. The defensive line coach at Georgia, the Georgia's recruiting class finished number three in the country behind only Ohio State and Alabama. Only days after National Signing Day, he also resigned at USC. He got coaches at LSU. You got coaches at Georgia who just left after giving their word to these players that they were going to look out for their own best interests. Now I'm all about upward mobility, and I'm more than sure that Tommy Robinson at USC, I'm more than sure that Greg Dakar, I'm more than sure that Rocker at um, Georgia are probably going to get paid handsomely, either one going to another school or politely holding off their resignation to the day after National Signing Day. But yet again, we have another example of coaches looking out for coaches, and nobody's out there looking out for the player. So moving day is on. We saw it happen at Alabama with C. Sarkeesian. But I wonder, just for the sake of argument, how many more coaches have to leave Alabama before we begin to ask the question of Nick Saban? Maybe you need to change your philosophy because not only have you lost three offensive coordinators in less than three months, you also seem to lose defensive coordinators every other year. There's going to come a point, and we've already realized it already, where assistant coaches just ain't going to stand for being treated like children. They know that they're a valuable commodity. They know that they're wanted. And they know they don't have to stand for that mess. But Nick Saban's got a pass. The only question is, how long will it last? As I bring the show to the close, I want to thank you guys for tuning in to Countdown to Kickoff. I'm excited to be back, and I'm excited to continue to share my passion, my thoughts, my insights with you regarding college football. 207 days until kickoff, and I'm counting every one of them. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to Countdown to Kickoff. Our show airs live every Tuesday and Thursday at 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. If, in fact, you missed the show, make sure you subscribe to the podcast by typing in count and the number two and down, one word. While you're at it, make sure you also follow the latest happenings in the world of sport with us at Eat, Drink, Sleep, Sports, and the number two. And you know what? If you've gone that far, be sure and check out our website for the latest happenings as well at eatdrinksleepsports.com. Till next time, college sports football fans, 
know I will. Peace. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.